the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 3, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Since this podcast is hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language. So if there are sensitive ears around you, be sure to pop in some headphones before you listen. In case you missed it, this is part two of a two-part conversation, and part one was last week, so if this is your first episode, be sure to listen to that one before you listen to this one, and let's get into it. Related to this, I was wondering, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the ways, and it sounds like, you know, this this year has really changed, you know, your, your business on top of you know all of the the personal changes that we've all been dealing with, but I'm curious, what are some of the other ways that we maybe haven't talked about yet that um, this year has shifted things for you or for not work related? I think this year has really made me realize how little I actually need to run this business. Like the fact that I could make stuff at home next to my bathtub and then sell it and like put it out into the world was really, really eye-opening. I always thought I would need so much to be able to do this, but in in this experience, I've realized like how much of it can be pared down. And I got really lucky because I got to move into a new studio but if I ever was to lose that, like I would still be okay. I could I could keep not work related alive, like in my living room, my bathroom, in a closet. Like I don't need the the stuff. Um, it really it really showed me like how much of it uh, I can part with, and and like what are the bare minimums to like run this business. And of course, I want as much space as I could possibly um, garner outside of my living quarters, but. If anything was to happen, like I, I can keep not work related alive. I I really wasn't sure in March. I was super worried when the studio was closing. Um, I thought I couldn't run not work related. And then when I lost my job, I was like, I don't think that not work related can support me um, and, and pay my rent and like make all my ends meet. And I realized that it can, and I can do it out of, my bathroom or, or whatever I have available. So that was really, really eye-opening, realizing that I need someone else to like cut those strings for me to be like, oh wait, I, I'm okay. Like I, I thought this would all fall apart. And so realizing how resilient, you know, I can be or, or the business can be um, was super, super eye-opening. Like if I can get through all of this, then like, that's it. Like not work related is here to stay and whatever happens with the economy or with COVID or, you know, if I move to a different state or something like it'll still be fine. I, I live in Brooklyn right now and I've held on to this like attachment with New York city 
because it felt like so much of my consumer base was here, especially doing those in-person markets. But with everything that's happening with COVID, it's like, wait, I, I could go somewhere else too and this would still survive. I was always operating on like the the notion that something could just kill it. And I I wouldn't be able to push through, but it, it is it's really amazing to like see that it, that it survived. Yeah, what an amazing lesson in, in um, self-sufficiency and resiliency and and just... I mean, sometimes we don't know what we're capable of until we have those those constraints placed on us or, you know, we have to go through that hardship. So that's really powerful to, I think, be shown like this is possible regardless of whether you're working in a bathroom or, you know, a 10,000 square foot studio, you can still make it happen. Yeah. And I think it's a part of it is definitely my personality too because there were a lot of people that I know that you know lost access to whatever their space was and kind of stopped working at the same time and for me I I couldn't let go of it and I couldn't let it stagnate in that way I was nervous about losing my job I wasn't teaching anymore in ceramics and it was like not work related was all I had so if I stopped doing that then it's like the only thing I can do is like eat ice cream and watch Netflix. And like, <laughs> I wasn't about to let the only thing that was in my control, like the only thing that was like my personal, personally provided paycheck also disintegrate. And so I held on to it really, really hard. I definitely think part of it is also my personality. Like, I don't think everyone is going to come home and be like, yeah, I'm going to make a studio in my closet. Like, it was the perfect combination of like, stubbornness and desperation um and this like desire to not be bored but i don't know i survived and um i think the business is so much stronger for it so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's something to be said about being able to make it in the most bootstrapped way with your business through a pandemic in a city that's completely locked down where i'm sure I mean, if you were doing markets before, I'm sure any markets you had thought of had been canceled or any, you know, wholesales may have been canceled or if you can survive that, it it's probably a good sign that your business can endure just about any kind of hardship and that you are resilient enough to figure out how to make it work no matter what's thrown your way. Do you feel like this experience has informed the, aside from, I know we talked about wholesale before, but like how this experience informs the way that you want to do business in the future and kind of, I mean, who knows what this world will look like post pandemic, but I'm really curious about if you've even been able to think about that or if it's like, it's too unknown. I'll cross it when I get to it. There's definitely some ideas. Um, So in from March until June, actually March through June, I worked at home in May, I actually found out that I got a grant um, for small businesses. And then I found out that my friend was leaving her studio in the same neighborhood that I live in. And she's like, you have to take it. Like, I love this studio. I want someone to take it that is going to like take care of it and and use it and and whatever. And for like three days, it was like, yes, I'm going to take it. No, I'm not going to take it. Like, yes, I'm going to take it. Like, absolutely. I can't Mm -hmm. take it. And then around this time, I found out about the grant, and I didn't know if it was real. I thought that maybe it was a scam, and I, like, called the bank and set up, like, verbal passwords. 
with like randomly generated letters and numbers. I was like, what is I want to say something funny? Like, um, and, and then it ended up not being a scam and I ended up getting the money, but I, I had to sign for the studio before I got the grant. But I, I was pretty sure at this point that it was real. It was like sponsored by Verizon and did a bunch of research and like checked Twitter and felt like it was gonna be a real thing. Um, so I, I dreamt a lot about what the future would be. And it's like my current, but it still feels like my future cause it's not fully set up. But I, I got to move into the studio that's 10 minutes from my apartment um, with COVID, it was such a critical decision. Um, I had been looking for a studio since January, like a new studio, cause I had been outgrowing my old one. And COVID just like put the nail- Outgrowing bathroom, you mean? <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. So I, um, I found a studio that I inherited basically from a friend who, who left the city cause of COVID. And even though I've been there for a month, it still feels like the future of that space is also part of the future of not work related because it's definitely not fully functional yet. And having that space for the first time, even before I physically had it, like just knowing that I had signed for it and knowing that it was what I was going to have, there was a lot of time to think about what I want it to be. And I, I think the idea I mean, I think this is gonna have to be like post COVID, but I wanna be able to open it up more regularly to people. Like today we have people like on a Sunday or something do an open studio for like four or five hours and have people come by and do like demos and, and be able to like interact with people in that way that I miss because markets are kind of um, off the table, at least for the time being. And it also makes me, challenged the same way that that direct-to-consumer challenged my idea of what wholesale is i think having the studio as a physical space that people can occupy that like isn't my apartment um it also challenges all those markets that i was paying like six hundred dollars to sit at for six hundred dollars like that's a huge chunk of my rent at a, for a whole month like i'm paying six hundred dollars to stand somewhere for two days so why not open the studio up for a day, even if it's once every two months? And I got, obviously I can have stuff for sale, but it can also just be a way to like strengthen all those relationships with people that have been picking things up at my apartment because I didn't have a studio anymore. And um, so that is definitely one thing. I wanna try to do private lessons in the space to, um, this was like another thing that I realized that like, maybe I can do this on my own because I had been teaching private lessons um, at a studio and, and you get like a fraction of the cost that someone is paying for the actual lesson as the teacher. And I was like, wait, maybe I can just do this myself. And it doesn't like, maybe the cost can be a little bit lower, but then I get to take all of it. Um, mm -hmm this whole process has just been like slowly removing the middle factors that had been taking a cut. And it's not to like dis about any of them or like discredit any of them. I just finally feel like not work related is strong enough to take over some of that middleman like responsibility. Yeah. 
And then you can pay yourself for that labor instead of paying other people for that labor. I mean, I feel like this whole theme is following or the whole theme of this conversation is following you, like learning your worth as a maker and being like, I'm going to advocate for myself finally and be like, no, I want all the cuts for me <laughs> because I'm doing all the work. Not even like in a greedy way. It's like just so you can make it. Like it's, it's yeah. not so you can get some like six figure income by teaching private lessons in ceramics. It's it's just so that your business has like a, a shot and that you have mm -hmm. like, you know, some runway that you can and save up. And like it, it was a different story when I was working part time because that was like a biweekly paycheck. And when that got pulled it was like a wake up call. Um, and I had to rethink all of the ways that I was like hemorrhaging money. And a lot of those were those like middle middleman type things where someone was setting mm -hmm. me up with some opportunity and it was like, maybe the opportunity can be in this new space. So yeah, I, the like open studios, private lessons, I really, really want to do like free workshops for kids that are like BIPOC growing up even though I was super like artsy and, and creative I didn't really get the opportunity to spend any extra time in the arts like I I took classes when I was in high school because they were available and I'm lucky that they were available and like, I went to a high school that didn't have an arts program I don't think I ever would have jumped back into doing ceramics so I think it would be really, really cool down the road to to do something like that, like on a Saturday for three hours, like five kids and just give them, I, mean, I don't even know if it's like kids, kids, or if it's like teens or, or what, but give them the opportunity to experience a different way to express themselves and provide them with something that they maybe wouldn't have access to if it was paid. Like maybe their parents wouldn't be able to afford it or want to spend the money on that. Because I think a lot of the arts are seen as like, that's not a real job or like, that's not, that's not how you get paid. Um, mm -hmm. And so kids are steered away from pursuing that as like a career. Cause there's this like, idea of being a starving artist and that you know you are relinquishing that financial security by by doing this and i think a lot of parents especially like kids of immigrants and minorities are like you know they want to steer their kids towards something that will give them like a guaranteed better life and i'm not saying that there's not validity in that like definitely spent seven years in school <laughs> getting higher education so like i'd be a hypocrite <laughs> if i said that but I think there's a lot of ways to, to do those things. And even if taking a ceramics class just makes someone realize that they're creative and they go on to become like a graphic designer or they go and become something else, or maybe they realize that they don't like it at all. And that's, that's totally okay too. Um, I just didn't have those opportunities growing up. And I think it would be really cool to be able to, to provide that. And some of the other things that I do could help pay for that like I'm happy to take, yeah. take some of the money from you know being able to do direct to consumer and not wholesale and be able to do like open studios and not not giant like craft fairs and now I have income that is a little bit more flexible than I can actually do stuff with that is more in line with like my ethos and my values so 
Yeah. And that, I mean, that also gives your business the opportunity and you the opportunity to show kids that it's not, like, it doesn't have to be the starving artist way. And, like, you can build a business for yourself where you maybe even pay yourself decently well. Like, you can do that. And I think that those examples need to be visible because it is possible it takes a lot of work, and if it's presented in a realistic way, I think it helps to set the right expectations and encourages and fosters creativity in young people. I mean, we need that so desperately. I wish there was more education on, you know, aside from actually going to business school, like on the business side of being an artist or being, um, you know, even self-employed uh, as a designer or as a maker. It's been... Yeah, learning how to do like your own taxes and learning how to, um, you know, budget for stuff like no one teaches you that. And, and I wish, I really wish that we took, you know, one of the studios out of like art school and just made it real life application on, on like transforming this thing into a real business. It's, it's super sad because I've seen a lot of people that have actually gone to school for ceramics. And then they come out and they can't afford to live off of ceramics because they don't really know how to sell ceramics. And then they end up like nannying or teaching or or doing like restaurant jobs because they never really learned how to do anything beyond making the, you know, object that they were making. And don't want to say it's like a failure of the education system, but it's not not though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of heartbreaking to see that people like did you know, actually have a degree in ceramics and, and can't, can't make it work for them. Um, so I feel very, very grateful that however I've pieced together the knowledge that I have and whatever tenacity that I've had to just like fight through, I'm super grateful because it's not, it's not easy. And there have been a lot of, uh, very stressful days. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, amen. I I just wholeheartedly agree with everything that you're saying. And I think we share that, that vision too, that it is something that more, that, you know, A, is more integrated into art school education, but B, that more people have access to that, you know, at every level, whether you are an art student who's already made the decision to study art, you know, and, and pursue a degree in that, or if you're uh, just a kid that is, you know, being exposed to something creative for the first time, that there are those pathways that are presented and that, you know, is made visible and that we have more stories of of successful, thriving artists who are doing really amazing things like you are. And that, you know, it just it makes me think of what you shared in the very beginning about, you know, the generosity of other artists really giving you that leg up to be able to start turning not work related into a business and um you know I think we all have have those similar stories I know Amanda and I have but just it really takes that the generosity of others to begin to illuminate what that path forward could look like and to show what kind of opportunity is out there so thank you for saying that (laughs) I I think that the biggest thing is that like everyone's journey is going to be different and everyone's path is going to be different and that's okay. Okay. Like what worked for me or what worked for you guys is not necessarily going to work for everyone else, but it is nice to have some sort of guideline or rubric or just like, you know, you can veer whichever direction you want. Um, but it's nice to just hear like what helped other people and 
every yeah, lesson I've slowly. learned has been like learn it the hard way. Like even even in terms of setting deadlines and how I specify when stuff is going to be sent out, like all of those things have come from doing it the wrong way first. And it'll be it'll be different for everyone. And you will learn it the hard way and you will make mistakes. Um, but I think that just seeing people that, like you said, that have, I don't want to say made it, but are making it work is, mm-hmm. is inspiring. It's inspiring to me to, to see people that are able to live off of their work. And it's really crazy feeling, especially when you come from like corporate culture that like you are making a paycheck out of thin air. Uh, and it's the product of a shit ton of work, mm-hmm. but it's in your control. And, and it's like really insane that the things that you are producing, whether it's art or, or like objects, have monetary value, which is like the really awesome thing about capitalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you made monetary value out of things that you created, which is super mind boggling. And that was the initial rush that I felt in like 2017 when I did a market um, in Brooklyn. And I was like, wait, what? Like I sold like $700 of stuff. Like people paid me $700. And now in my head, I'm like $700 is not that much because I brought a ton of stuff. But in, in 2017, I was like, wow, people paid me $700 and they took all my stuff home. Like I created that income and, and that rush like doesn't go away. So, I mean, you should pay yourself definitely because you deserve to. I, I think also realizing that like there's there's a curse and there's, I don't know, a blessing in being able to control your income and, and learning how to work with that in your, in your favor is important. And it takes time and it's hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. (laughs) This is a personal question because, not personal to you, but personal to me, because we talked about it before and I couldn't remember, what is the label printer that you recommended the last time we talked? Oh. (laughs) Because I was thinking about it the whole time this week as I was like putting the tape down on all of my labels. I was like, I need that damn printer. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's any part of the podcast, but if it is, it's called Rolo. It should be. I feel like somehow you have to work this in. No, it's totally relevant and important for anyone that is shipping. I'm so sorry we like wrapped up the conversation and Amanda's like, man, when can I ask about the label printer? Yeah, I'm like, meanwhile, I, please give me the tea of the printer. It's called Rollo. It's R-O-L-L-O. Um, it looks like a big stapler. It's just like a little rectangle. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing I really like about it is that the labels are non-proprietary. So unlike Dymo which has proprietary labels. You can use any labels that you want. And so I bought a box of like, um, let's see, 500 labels. And it has lasted me, I mean, I'm halfway through and I think I got them this year, but it's, it's great. It's like a thermo printer, there's no ink. It's not Bluetooth, so you do have to connect it to your computer, but I'm mm-hmm. usually on a computer to make the labels anyway. The other really great thing I would suggest about um, people who are starting to ship a lot is to use some sort of third-party platform, whether that's like ShipStation or Stamps.com or something. I found it super critical, especially with COVID. Like At some point, my post office here in, in Brooklyn wasn't closed, 
but there was nobody working at it. And so you couldn't ship stuff out if you were reliant on an attendant to like fill out the label for you. So I became really, really grateful that I could drag like a a bag of 20 packages to the post office and and just drop them off pre-printed. It has saved a lot of time and it's, it's really easy to just like breeze by the post office, drop them off and then go do whatever you need to do in the past. I always had to approximate, you know, 20 minutes to wait in line to ship five things. And then you show up with a bunch of stuff and then people behind you are like, this isn't fair. You have like 30 boxes, you know, it's just not. So I would say yeah. those are the, the two really big things. And to invest in ecologically friendly packing materials. If you ship yeah. I think like the bio peanuts are amazing and I use them for every package. Yeah, and this wouldn't, this probably wouldn't be as relevant to your stuff because I think they just make soft packaging, so all your stuff would break. But uh, no issue is what I've started using for soft packages and like eco-friendly compostable packages and tissue paper and stickers and tape and all that stuff. But it does make a big difference, especially when you realize that you're shipping out a lot of things and you're like, hmm, it's a lot of waste that doesn't have to be waste. Yeah, I used to take a ton of packing materials from my job because we got a lot of products. And so if they were going to throw out a rollerball wrap, I would bring it home and use it. And then I always put a little slip in my packages that this is part of like the ego thing that I learned to let go. I used to be really embarrassed that my packaging material was reused. And sometimes it didn't look reused, but sometimes you could see that it had already been taped somewhere. And mm-hmm. I saw a company actually, Darkroom London, that makes, they make like tiles and, and a bunch of stuff. They wrote something in one of their packages like, oh, this has been reused or something. And I was like, wait, if they're not ashamed and they can be proud of the fact that this is all reused, then mm-hmm. let's just embrace the fact that this is all reused and just make it a part of the process. So now I put in a little slip that says like, pardon my appearance, everything in this box is either like recyclable or has been reused. And then it says like, you can, you know, throw the packing peanuts in the sink and they're biodegradable in water. It was one of those things that I thought was embarrassing, but then actually was really awesome to just embrace the, the same yeah. thing like realizing that I'm just one person I thought it was embarrassing that I didn't have like four assistants and then I realized the way it's actually totally fine that I can just be myself and there's like a lot of value in that yeah I used to do the exact same thing when I worked at Apple constantly there were tons of cardboard boxes around the place and I was like well I don't want to have to buy them. Here are tiny boxes that are the perfect size. So I'm just going to bring them all home. And I guess I'll peel off all of these labels that are saying like, beware of these. um, I can't remember the the types of battery, but like the batteries that are in phones, they have to acknowledge it and shipping and stuff. So I had to like peel all those labels off. And then I, it inspired me to start making little thank you notes that include the like, by the way, these materials are either reused or recyclable. Um, please continue to reuse or recycle them responsibly. And when I started saying that, it was mostly to like cover my tracks because I was embarrassed. But then people started messaging me and being like, I had no idea that sustainability was part of your business. And I'm like, it's like the foundation of it. I guess I have to tell people more. (laughs) I'm like the person who's like saving all their compost and like driving, you know, riding your bike to the like farmer's market so that it doesn't go in the trash. Like it's totally... 
a part of the business, but I thought it was embarrassing. Yeah. And I was like scavenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just more more affirmation to you do you. Yeah, and then I mean you can just be honest about it and people are most likely okay with it or think it's cool. And I I will say I have stopped um scavenging boxes because it was really hard to have the right size for whatever you need so i do think that Mm -hmm. one of the things that especially for ceramics where like you can't just like shove it in a box and be like it fit i swear um (laughs) (laughs) that was a really big thing for me was realizing what sizes I need. And, I, and I've been asked that actually a few times, like, how do I know what size? I, and like, it's, it depends on your product. But now I know like every mug I ship is this size. Every time I have two pieces, it's this size. Every time yeah. it's like four, it's this size. If it's a planter, it's this size. And I mean, unfortunately it means you need a lot of boxes, but to be able to just grab it, like throw the peanuts in, wrap the piece, throw more peanuts on top, put in a note and like close it up. The amount of efficiency that I have with that system versus like free boxes has really helped me streamline like the packing process. Like the last shop update I did, I ended up having to ship out like 125 boxes or something. And if I, what I used to do was like, make the box and be like, does this fit? No, try the next one. Like, does this fit? And like, find the right size. And now it's like, no, I know that it's a single piece. I know what size box it is. Like, let's just roll through these just like as mechanically mm-hmm. as possible. Um, and then you have the roller and it prints your label and then like, you know, seal the deal. Yeah. <laughs> so those Perfect. are, they're investments, but they really help, um, I think streamline like a really, not enjoyable part of making stuff like shipping sucks <laughs> it's the it's my least favorite part but at the end of the day it's what gets my stuff to people and it's necessary yeah so like make things easier that's that's a big thing i've learned too is if you can solve a problem with a small purchase like just solve the problem because there's so many other problems that you can't solve with money and I'm not saying, you know, spend $10,000 on your next label printer, but if you can spend $100 on something and you can afford it and it's going to save you so much time, like your time is valuable and your time is money. And if you're going insane and it's like, I've noticed when it's a thing that's like, I'm always mad about this one thing. Okay, let's just fix it. Like, let's just buy the thing that's going to make this not be stressful. And then I can focus on like the actual work. Yeah. yeah, that's been a big, a big thing. Like, no one to be stingy and, and no one to just, like, fix your problems with money. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, if it comes down to, like, do I drop, you know, $100, say, on this label printer, or do I spend hours of my time? Because I know taping on, you know, printing on paper, cutting them out, taping them on, that takes time. So, like... The equation of your time versus your money it, and the frustration mm-hmm. factor, like, it's usually worth it to just invest in yourself. Yeah, and it's three pieces of tape every time. Like, yes! I did it for so long. Yes. Oh, I'm going to be thinking about it as I package orders tomorrow. I'm like, this printer can't get here fast enough. I, it's one of the best investments I think I've made. 
Um, do we need to do any, like, outro? I know we, like, outroed and then went back in. Do you guys need to do anything again on my part? Or are you guys okay piecing it together? I'll probably just rearrange it. Yeah, Amanda's really good at rearranging conversations. <laughs> Has it been hard to learn how to do? Because, like, I mean, similar to all of this that we've talked about, it's a whole other skill set to, to do this. Like, to learn how to edit the audio and put together entire conversations with people and have them accessible, you know, online. Like, it's it's a whole other skill set that no one has taught. Yeah, it's definitely a weird, it's been a weird learning experience. And I feel like we get better every interview we have and like every episode that I edit. And I'm super lucky. Like my husband is an audio engineer. So he sort of was like, here's the program that you're going to use. So if you have problems, I can actually help you because it's what I use. And he kind of showed me the ropes on how to do things. But now for the most part, it's really just me and he'll check things and I'm like, something's wrong and I don't know why. Um, Which definitely happens a lot. But it's, it's a, a hard skill to learn. But I feel like it's made me so much more confident as an artist because I'm like, okay, if I can pick up audio editing, which I have no skills in or previous experience in, then I kind of feel like I can handle anything. And that's like, you know, the whole spirit of the artist. Like, we can handle anything if we can handle this shit. (laughs) Totally. I, I think it also makes you realize how many things are interrelated and overlap. Like, so my boyfriend's a graphic designer and he does a lot of the branding and it's kind of been the same thing where like I know all the software because I also went to design school but that's not like my specialty like setting type is not my like strong suit I I took one class I think one time and and it's just not it's not my profession so having that support and definitely get to like over the shoulder design which I know he hates but um (laughs) it's been really really helpful to have someone that has not necessarily a complimentary skill set, but has something that you can learn from them. And it, it just kind of goes to show you that, like, you can always learn stuff from people around you. And you never know, like, who has, not has something, but, like, knows something that could enrich your own business practice life down the road. Oh, totally. Yeah, it sounds like we're all in creative partnerships here because my partner is also a graphic designer. And so earlier this year, we launched a new website for Beyond the Studio, which we built ourselves because my partner was redesigning she his says website. We, it's all her and her partner. It, I'm not in this <laughs> Oh, no, see, this is the... Yeah, this is the we thing. Well, I mean, we collectively do the podcast, but yeah, I built the website. <laughs> um, but really, it was like based on my partner's website and like his building so he started using this wordpress plugin and i would have never like thought or like had the confidence to do it myself but like seeing oh he's like been able to do this and i also have a sounding board to be able to like figure things out and he can like you know give us his input and help us like create the framework for it allowed me to then like go in and build it out so um yeah it's huge i feel like um, we've both been able to yeah, learn from those around us. It's And you don't think about that when you, like, start those relationships, even friendships and stuff. And it's been really, really helpful to have someone in the creative field while doing all of this. I think 
not to discount anyone's partnerships ever um, because they're all super valid. But I think if I was dating like an accountant or something, I wouldn't have that sounding board that I've really become dependent yeah. on. Like having someone that's like visually inclined as the person that you come home to to be like, does this like look okay? Like, what do you think about this? And, and for them to be able to give you like real feedback has been really, really helpful. Yeah, it also just allows you to connect on a different level too. I feel like beyond just being supportive or like being a cheerleader to each other's work, we can really like, I mean, we're all probably our own worst critics, but like Dave's probably my second worst critic. Like I can always count on him to give me really honest feedback. Yep. I appreciate it mostly. Definitely agree. I've gotten a lot of like, mm, maybe don't make too many of these. <laughs> duly duly noted we'll never make this again <laughs> oh that's yeah my my husband when he is like questioning something he's like so how do you feel about it do you do you want to keep doing this i'm like all right you don't you're not into it I, I hear what you're saying by not saying Enough anything <laughs> yeah. yeah we've Nicole and I have always talked about how we've want to do eventually some kind of creative partnership episode or maybe we come on with our partners and talk about that dynamic because I think it is really interesting and I have found that in conversations a lot of artists partner up with fellow artists just with that like-mindedness and similarity of like I'm trying to live a kind of alternative life want to go have that life with me <laughs> and figure it out and be creative on the road or whatever um <laughs> I don't know. If you can get your partners to go on, I would be so impressed because it took me like three years to even be able to like Instagram tag my boyfriend and it was a a work in progress. I don't think that he wanted to have the like spotlight on it. It's that, that mentality of like you do the work, but you're not involved in, yeah, like personally involved in, in the work which is very much the relationship that he still has with with his work, so. Yeah, that's funny. I wonder if that has to do with, like, being a designer for a, a larger company, or if he is, but in my partner's case, like, I even had to convince him to let me give a credit on Beyond the Studio's website for all of the work. No, it, it took three years, and then he made a, like, funny illustration Instagram, and he was like, fine, you can tag that. And I was like... <laughs> you did the work like let me let some people that like the work like go to your page and then also like like your stuff like mm-hmm. it's it's okay like you don't have to post selfies to like be credited yeah um, so yeah there is something definitely about that designer mindset where it's like almost removed from the person and I think it's maybe initially done in a good way. Like I know in like, I think Korea or something, like you need to have a photo of yourself on your resume. And I think there's there's some mm-hmm. things that are like really messed up about that. So it is really nice that you can just put your name and like your identity is more or less protected or irrelevant. Um, but I also think it's really cool to be able to share that. And, but yeah, same thing. If you guys ever get your partners on here, I will be very impressed. Yeah, we'll see. I think I'm a little intimidated too, but I also love the idea of it because, I mean, we used to, Amanda and I used to live together in Baltimore, so part of the idea. Yeah, so we all four Mm -hmm. lived together at one point, kind of, not officially, Unofficially. basically. 
Yeah. Not yeah. according so to just, our you know, <laughs> Lots of conversations with the four of us, and we kind of miss that, too, being able to just talk all together. So we might we might do it in the future. I really yeah. liked your guys' episode that was about you guys, too. That was probably one of the first ones I listened to. Oh, throwback. We were just talking about that earlier today, actually, because those are a couple of years old at this point, and... Yeah, the information doesn't even feel relevant anymore. Yeah, like, even our lives look so different now, um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. It is kind of like a time capsule, but maybe we should do a re... You should! You should do a 2020, a remake. like, what has changed. Got all kinds of new episode ideas here tonight. <laughs> well, like what we were talking about before, whenever you have a conversation about your own work it's like different things are gonna stick out at different times and whenever I listen back to our our older episodes I just get very like cringy and self-conscious but also it's really nice to be able to look back and think like man that really is kind of where I was at that point and I am at a different point now and it's nice to have sort of a a moment in time of what I thought about myself and my work in you know like 2017 and 2020 Manda is a little different but (laughs) I'm sure we all are after th- after this year. <laughs> like, wow, I've actually grown. Like, it's, I'm sure you see it with, I don't know if, if you can see it, Nicole, as much, or maybe you totally see it too, but I look back at work, because I don't usually record or audio of where I'm at. Like, I don't do, like, video journals or anything. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, missed that boat. But um, I can look back at stuff that I've made, and it's like, oof. Like, I'll go home and I'm like, yeah, this is oh, yeah. great. Like, even, like, we went home for um, for some holiday and, and we were at my, my boyfriend's um, sister's house and she had old, old, old mugs, like the first mugs that I made that had patterns on them. And I was like, these suck. Like, you guys have been <laughs> using these the whole time? Like, can let's replace these. Like, I can do better. I know mm. I can do better, like, but you don't, you don't realize how far you've come when, until, like, something like that hits you in the face, and you're like, no, 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 I've, I've yeah. definitely grown, like, if I ever thought I didn't grow, like, these are evidence that things have, you know, gotten, yeah. and, like, figured out, so, it's super cringy, but it's also, like, I don't know, a moment of pride where you're, like, I don't know if it's a better place, but I'm in a different place now. yeah. Yeah, there's some growth and yeah. change, for sure. Yeah. Gosh, sometimes I feel that way this year, though. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what was actually just two weeks ago feels like another lifetime, so who knows where we'll be in 2021. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's really, it's crazy. Someone asked me today if I was going to go back to work, because they froze hiring until 2021, so it's like a big question of, like, mm. what is not work related gonna look like in 2021 and will I go back and will there even be a job to go back to but if there is like would I take it and and that's a big question in the back of my head like it would be really smart to take it but it would be also really cool to not take it so yeah yeah well we're excited to see what 2021 will bring you and hopefully it's so much growth and money and success (laughs) I love that you can actually, I, I, I feel like there's some part of like, I want to get paid or I want to make money that makes, I don't know, people don't want to talk about it. And it's nice to just hear someone be like, no, pay yourself, like make money. And it's like, yeah, you, 
you should make money. Like, if you can make money at any other job, like, you should be able to make money as an artist. Yes. Your stuff should be mm-hmm. worth money. Like, Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> so it's nice to have, yeah, it's nice to have that as, like, a a common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your story continues to validate me, and I'm like, all right, I don't feel totally like I'm out of my depth because so much of what you've shared I can relate to, um, and I'm sure a lot of people in that sphere can relate to as well, um, especially with just the timeline of how long it often takes to figure stuff out and how many mistakes you kind of have to make while you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um But once you learn those lessons, it really is up to you to uphold those standards for yourself. And if you want to be paid well, if you want to have a business that can sustain itself and not just cover its own expenses, like, then you have to learn to advocate for yourself. There's nothing like doing your own taxes that makes you really realize, like, okay, everything has to change. Like, those those moments. um, Oh, man. I think that was also a factor, like, around COVID was also, like, around the time that, like, taxes happened, and seeing those numbers was like, okay, this has to change, like, because when you're in it, it feels okay, and especially when you have a second job, or a third job, because you're just teaching, too, um, it feels okay, and then you really look at it, and you're like, wait a second, this is not gonna last, um, it has to change, and so, although I don't recommend the experience of doing your own taxes, it is worth doing it once or twice um, and learning yeah. how you're structured and learning um, all the categories of things you can expense and also learning um, how much more you should probably be paying yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But it is nice if you can work with a CPA because they, I don't know, might be able to like apply your business to grants or see whatever kind of things that you may be unaware of that you could qualify for. I'm never doing my taxes again. It's so hard. (laughs) It's miserable. I have yet to take that step. I really need to start working with someone. But I do think for me, it's like that awareness. Like I just, I think it makes me keep better track. And I've, I've just been doing it for so long that I still use TurboTax, but (laughs) I'm sure I could be saving more. Yeah, I I used to be like, I'm not going to pay an accountant whatever money to do this thing. And then there's just also like, wait, I just spent like four hours looking up this terminology and I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like pay someone else to solve the problem. (laughs) Don't become an accountant. They can get you more money and and whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. My CPA has saved my ass so many years now because I am sure that there are times where I probably could have really easily screwed myself by just not knowing the right way to do it or not knowing what I could be writing off and, you know, all of those things and something about being able to delegate your your things that you don't want to do onto or that you are or maybe not the right person to do um, onto someone that can. And it gets really messy. Yeah. Like a lot of 1099s, a lot. It, I know. It's hard. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of, like, disparate jobs, and, and you're piecing them together, and as the business grows, you just get more and more 1099s, and it's just harder and harder to keep track. Um, I, I, I never want to do them again. 
I know every year I'm like, this will be the year like this. I think this year I had two W2s and then like six or seven 1099s plus a bunch of other like unclaimed income that I had to just manually, you know, clump together. And yeah, I'm always like next year I'm going to get it together. And I still haven't hired someone, but. And it becomes like, it's like April before you know it. And you're like, I just have to do this myself. So I don't get fine. Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Every year. So hopefully next year I will, like, be responsible. <laughs> 2021 is going to be the year. Where I, like, finally count in, like, February. Well, Sarah, for listeners, where can they find you, your work online? Um, I know we've mentioned social media a few times, but what's the best way for them to follow um, what you're up to? Um, so you can follow me at Not Work Related. It's Not Work Related with an underscore at the end. I think it's – there is another Not Work Related account – that has zero posts and I think zero followers and it's just someone like standing it out. Yeah. So, but you'll see it. It's like a blue NWR logo. Um, the website is linked on the Instagram page and there's also a link for email. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. If anyone wanted to get in touch with me, email would be the best because it's kind of hard to keep up with DMs sometimes. Thank you so much again. God, every time we've talked it's been so such a pleasure and I really feel just better having had the conversations I had a great time I I it was super fun like I kind of wish you guys lived here so that we could <laughs> I know I was gonna say oh, when post-covid my, times I so. have family in New York so usually I'm there pretty regularly so next time when travel is a bit when travel is able to happen I will definitely hit you up and be like let's go get coffee or a drink or whatever. Um, Where are you now? Baltimore? I'm in Baltimore. That's what I thought. Yeah. And if you ever find yourself in Baltimore, don't hesitate to reach out. Or San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, San Francisco too. (laughs) A little further away, but you know. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective too because I feel like there's so much talk oh, about. Nicole, you're um, muted. Like oh God, I'm muted. Making the leap. Nicole, as you're muted. Going full. Or are you muted? Yeah, I think so. I can't hear you. Oh, oh okay. can you hear me? Still can't hear you. Oh my God, are we cursed? <laughs> Now? Can you hear me? Still can't hear you, Nicole. Oh, weird. I'm not on mute. It's really amazing to look back and realize how much you... Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Hold on. Unacceptable. Oh wait, now I'm muted. Um... Unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for so many reasons. <laughs>